Well, may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 75 for Saturday, 15th of December 2018. I'm Jeremy Sear and each week I'll be joined by a different guest host to help me discuss what's just been happening to our country, what's likely to happen shortly, and hopefully what we can do about it. Tonight's guest host is returning guest host, Denise Pierco. Hello there. Uh, we have a window where a baby is now asleep. What? And may continue sleeping. Oh, please, until please. Until we finish the podcast. So it's weird that we're doing this uh, because Parliament finished last year. The government shut it down and ran away quickly before the Senate could uh, force them to actually consider uh, a bill that they were going to lose. In fact, I think they actually ran going, flee, flee, everyone get out of here, flee. Uh, have you seen the footage of Tony Abbott when he had to run away because otherwise he'd been forced to vote on, I can't remember what it was, but it was just this comical sort of, Totten's <laughs> uh, done a couple of those himself. Like, run away, The thing that gets me about it is that it's portrayed as if they can't do anything about it. Oh, sorry. It's just like inevitable. It's like the, you know, the, the, the giant door is coming down and there's nothing we can do about it and, and sorry we have to run away. But of course the parliament can vote to sit whenever it bloody likes. It's a parliament. As if they've never had a situation where people have been heading back to airports and they've called them all in for a vote because yeah. something kept parliament over and everyone has to turn their cars around and get back there and vote really darn quickly. That, that's never happened. Hmm. So basically, it's just parliamentary games, and the government is suddenly happy to shove out a whole lot of things that they seem to have waited until parliament wasn't going to sit so that they didn't have to face anyone on the floor of parliament about any of these things. I like to think of it as an early Christmas gift. All these these wonderful announcements about lovely things the government wants to do to help us, the Australian people. Idea generally, what's it called, taking out the garbage, and the idea of, obviously, to get the stuff out all at once, like... They announced a whole lot of these things on the same day with the hope that people are distracted. Uh, it's really hard to focus on all these big things at once. Whilst coming up to Christmas, people are finishing off the work, the year's work. People are having Christmas coming. They're getting ready for Christmas. They they're don't... going on holiday. They're getting into that mode mentally. Yeah, that's when you take out the trash. Actually, I'm, based on the government's previous form, I'm sure that we'll... I, I suspect there's some uh, recent climate uh, data about our emissions that will have been... Just they'll be releasing this week. Probably. That's the kind of thing they do. So, But it's often like what they do during the year on a Friday afternoon. If you want to bury a news story, you publish the media release three or four o'clock on a Friday afternoon. No one's going to pick it up for the weekend papers. It's just going to go out there and by Monday people will, will have forgotten. Well, I mean, Dutton was on Sky this week saying that, that Parliament was a disadvantage for government. I've always seen uh, Parliament as... Uh, a disadvantage, frankly, for sitting governments. Uh, whatever happens, however messy it looks, tough decisions that need to be made uh, are always sheeted home to the government of the day. I, for one, am rather grateful that we missed out on having Dutton as our new great overlord and dictator. It does feel to me like Dutton thinks that the point of government is to go out and do authoritarian things uh, and not have any checks and balances, and the checks and balances are themselves a, a limit on government. But 
which is kind of the mark of a particular type of political leader. Mm, indeed. The kind of leader that we actually have those checks and balances to protect us from. Absolutely. So yeah, it makes sense that they've waited until Parliament went before they did any of these things. So there are a couple. We've got the faux ICAC and we've got response to the religious power review, which they also dropped this week mm-hmm. after Parliament. They waited until after Parliament to do it. And look, the, not a huge amount that we can discuss at this point because it's in uh, tra- it's still under negotiation, but the attempt that the government's made, the, the Liberals in Canberra, to uh, basically present a le- take it or leave it deal to Victoria where uh, private schools get a whole lot more money than public schools uh, and if Victoria doesn't sign up to it, then we get no money from the federal government from our taxes, like it's our, is our, mm-hmm. and so the federal liberals are playing very hardball on that, and the Victorian government has gone go to hell. So we're all at a bit of a not quite a Trump level. We'll shut down the government, but we are at a bit of a terrifying impasse on education funding, where the federal government, a government that is so afraid of Parliament, they they've just lost the by, a by election. They do not have a majority on the floor of the House of Reps. They do not. They are a minority government. They are on a hiding to. A, a massive catastrophic loss as soon as they do dare to face the people next year, which is why they're putting it off for as long as possible. And they are telling a recently elected, with a thumping majority, state government in Victoria to shut up and, and do what they tell them to do. Yeah, I, I feel like the Victorian government might be have some legitimacy in turning around and saying, get stuffed, we represent our voters. You don't. I, I think one of the big things with the Victorian government, though, is because... Um... The one of the reasons the federal government is, is so afraid of, of this bargaining and then bargaining for it is the other states have a no disadvantage clause. So if Victoria does manage to push this through and get that 25% funding for the students in public schools, bringing it up from the 20 to 25%, then the other states also get money out of the deal too, which will cost about the federal government about $25 billion over a decade for state schools. Not that that's a bad thing. No, that's money that could be going to private schools for rich people, though. Oh, that's right. I did see the Peter Onslund thing in today's uh, Oz basically arguing that the Liberals should basically do whatever they can to slash expenditures, even though it's an election year and the general approach to election years is to try and buy votes by splurging cash. Um, Onslund's like, the, the Oz in, in general are like, no, no, this is an opportunity where you can uh, cut taxes and... and uh, Oh, sorry, not cut taxes. Well, yeah, they've already done the cutting taxes. Yeah. This is a bit where you can pay for the cut taxes by cutting expenditure on poor people. Uh, well, exactly. If we cut Newstart for each person by a dollar a week, think of the $100 a year we would save. <laughs> exactly. And the, philosoph- the the idea that the Oz is putting to the Liberals about doing this, because obviously that's politically, uh, as they would say, Miss Prime Minister, courageous. But the idea is that then they could say, hey, the last budget that we, the last media budget we uh, delivered in government, so assuming they're going to lose, at least in opposition, they could say, Hey, we delivered, we got rid of the deficit. Our last budget didn't have a deficit. And then Labor, which will have to run deficits because the, the budget sit bottom line under the Liberals has been completely decimated. But yeah, they, that's the, thing. the budgets have been destructive and painful and they've actually injured us and our economy and they've injured, our, well, they've injured our society is what they've done. But they could do like a paper um, surplus or paper, so that basically they come back and say, ah, oh, yeah, we've pushed that thing. You know, they could push a couple of things off to the, for the following year. So right now, right now, surplus. And then we delivered a surplus and you Labour people are paying for everything we did and now you've got deficits. Ah! And they shout at that from opposition for, for six years or whatever, saying, hey, we do, the Liberals were the last people to deliver a surplus and basically have it. This is sort of a bit of a political scam on the basis that they're going to lose anyway. Yeah. So you might as well go out being able to have something to hang your evil hat on. 
Yes. Well, interestingly, if we go back to the school uh, issue, so a lot of the news about this comes from Thursday, and it's Saturday morning right now. And the education ministers, the state and the federal, were all meeting Friday, yesterday. And so I haven't heard anything out of that. I haven't heard any news from Friday, and I've been looking. Well, today's big news is uh, Morrison with West Jerusalem and the embassy. And the... It's a bit hard to get your head about what precisely they're proposing, because the whole thing's fraught. They're doing a symbolic change. Yes. Saying we're, we're not going to move the embassy there. We're going to put a trade commission there. Yes. And we're going to have... Uh, we're going to support the Palestinian capital being in East Jerusalem, and we recognise that the, the Israeli one is in West Jerusalem. Yes, we are going to formally recognise that it's in West Jerusalem. However, until other people formally recognise it and it's made formal sort of on a worldwide basis, we won't actually move our embassy. But it's still us putting ourselves in the camp of Donald Trump. Like, the only country in there... Well, like, there is no... It's no wonder that... Is, look, can I play you? This is... Scott Morrison, it's actually now just the afternoon because Scott Morrison's just been at Jared Henderson's Sydney Institute and announced this. I'm going to just play you a little bit of a grab of, of Morrison announcing this. Australia now recognises West Jerusalem being the seat of the Knesset and many of the institutions of government is the capital of Israel. West Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. And we look forward to moving our embassy to West Jerusalem when practical in support of and after final status determination. We've decided to start the work though now out of respect for the clearly communicated preference of the Israeli government for countries to not establish consulates or honorary consular offices in West Jerusalem, the Australian government will establish a trade and defence office in West Jerusalem. With deepening defence industry ties and Australia-Israel trade now running at over $1.3 billion per year, this will help continue to build our strong bilateral trade relationship. That $1.3 billion of trade with Israel, in contrast with the $16.4 billion in total two-way trade in goods and services with Indonesia in 2017, according to DFAT. Indonesia, of course, being a majority Muslim country that is extremely annoyed with Australia doing anything on the Israel-Palestine issue that puts us closer to Israel and further from supporting the concerns of Palestinian people. Australia is putting at risk trade worth more than 10 times the amount with a, a country that is very much closer to us and has 10 times as many people as we do, as opposed to Israel, which is a very long way away. So even if you're ignoring principle and you're only concerned about the financial impact, this is an odd move for the Australian government. Anyway, Scott Morrison continues. It's a balanced view. It's a measured view. It's a well-considered view. We're going to have a couple of examples in this episode of Scott Morrison saying things in a reassuring way. You know, this is well-considered because it is the opposite. Mm. Or something has teeth because it doesn't. And it's, it's really hit the point, I think, where any time Morrison opens his house, the more emphatically, the more vehemently he uses an expression, the more you know that the reality is the opposite. It's almost the more he, uh, he uses a couple like a triplet or a, or a doublet of little um, little catchphrases together, the more you know that he is barking up the wrong tree and he's shoveling shit uphill. He would be easy to play poker against. His tells are so obvious. Like, the weaker his hand, the more he'd be talking about how great a hand it is. And it's, it reminds me a lot of, and I'm, I may or may not drop in the audio of this, after, depending on whether I can get an exact quote that's punchy, rather than last week where I played, I think, about a minute and a half of Bob Catter singing. Yeah, I'm sorry. We all make our choices. I regret that one. Um, 
But yet, I don't know if you remember the, the when uh, Jim Hacker becomes Prime Minister and yes, Prime Minister, the first ministerial broadcast he does, um, amazing bit of television, but one of the things they say to him is, you've got to have a contrast to what you're doing. So if you're announcing a whole lot of policies that are new and dynamic and, and potentially scary to people, then you have the dark reassuring suit, you have the, the, the reassuring leather books and the, the old, the, basically everything old-timey, everything reassuring and old-fashioned and stable and and, and Traditional. Traditional to make your more radical proposals seem less um, scary to people. And vice versa. If you're doing a speech where you basically don't do anything, then you have sort of the modern wallpaper and, and the, the sort of fast upbeat music and you basically have, have all the visuals be exciting to counter the substance. Well, it's up to you, obviously, Prime Minister. All I can say is if that's what you're going to say, I suggest a um, very modern suit, uh, high-tech furniture, high-energy yellow wallpaper abstract paintings, in fact, everything to disguise the absence of anything new in the actual speech. I think I can go back to my original dynamic speech, you know, about the grand design. Fine, then it's the reassuring traditional background, the dark suit, oak panelling, leather volumes, 18th century portraits. Oh, one other thing, opening music. Now, once again, Bach, new ideas, Stravinsky, no change. And Morrison clearly gets that to the extent that whenever he is going to do something uh, where he's being weak and where he's pro- where the proposal is, is a nothing. He has to get out there and shout about how strong it is. And also, like, it, the more he says, the more you know he is compensating for something. Actually, probably an even more appropriate reference at this point for the shameless bullshit that Morrison comes out with is, are we at the level of comical Ali, uh, Muhammad Sayyid al-Shahaf? Uh, who was the propaganda minister under Saddam Hussein in 2003. You know, the guy, well, here's he's a little bit of his stuff. They are not near Baghdad. Don't believe them. It's messes. They are liars. That's all. What is the situation today here in Baghdad? It's good, as you see it. As you see it. The traffic. They, they are trapped everywhere in the country. His last appearance was 8th of April 2003, where he was saying that the Americans were, quote, Going to surrender or be burned in their tanks. They will surrender. It is they who will surrender. When asked where he got the information, he replied, quote, authentic sources, many authentic sources. Do we call Morrison comical Morrison at this point? He does seem happy to just declare things and dare you to contradict him. Well, that's probably more at the promoting the opposite of what your weaknesses are stage than the outright, there are no tanks in Baghdad as tanks come past him in the background. This is future Jeremy here. I'm just dropping this in. The point, other point we forgot to make and really want to make about the West Jerusalem thing is how is Morrison going to go selling to the xenophobes and terrified people who he has convinced we're all at risk of, quote, Islamic terrorism, this thing that they've massively overblown. They've, these are the people who they've convinced that uh, all terrorism is by Muslims, if that's absurd, and uh, Muslims are in general terrorists, which is even more absurd. Those very people who are happy to go along with the government taking away the civil liberties to protect them, to keep them safe from this terrible boogeyman of, quote, Islamic terrorism, you would think that it would occur to them that deliberately sticking our fingers in the eyes of the Muslim world and just going, uh, screw you, deliberately antagonising them might not be a policy that makes Australians safe. So ignoring the economic damage from trade, which we have particularly with Indonesia. If you were a person who thought that 
Islamic terrorism was a real threat to your way of life and to your safety. And that, I mean, you would have to believe that if you are going to be okay with the government taking away your civil liberties in order to combat this terrifying threat. Then what would you really think about the government deliberately antagonizing them? Now, I suspect that the answer for the people who are most virulently anti-Muslim and the people who are more than happy for the security forces to have as many powers as they want because they will smash Muslim people, will also be perfectly happy with us deliberately antagonizing Muslim people because it's not actually about keeping us safe. It's about fighting people that they hate. And so anything that makes Muslims unhappy is something that they will happily champion. But the people who are actually frightened and who have been sold this bullshit and are scared of it, surely they can't be all that comfortable about us deliberately provoking people that they think are scary and violent. It'll be interesting to see how that plays. Well, there's other things that he has that he said this week are the most important rights that we have, or the most, what, what was it? Uh, okay, so we've got audio for both him on ICAC and on the importance of religious rights and, that, yes. and religious liberty being the most important one. Which let's let's play that in a moment. But I think let's start with his ICAC. Let's start with his proposal for an ICAC. Do you want to tell us what what his proposal is and what's wrong with it? And then we'll have him try to describe it and try to sell it by using terminology that is pretty much the opposite of the reality. So Scott Morrison is now saying that he will establish a federal anti-corruption commission, even though about a month ago he was saying, no, no, we don't need to do it. It's just people are pushing forward. It's a fringe issue. Why do we need it? As Jordan said, like you can see the marble, the scrape, the claw marks. Yeah. And I was like dragged there. Um, but he's calling it uh, an integrity commission, the Commonwealth Integrity Commission. And basically, there's going to be two sides to it. One side uh, will be the Australian Commission for Law Enforcement Integrity, and it will continue to look into things like ASIO and the ATO. The other one will look into the majority of the public service, uh, including public servants and MPs. Um, and that's the one that people are quite worried about, mostly because First of all, they will need a reasonable suspicion of corruption before they can even launch an investigation. And if you look at what the commission, for example, in New South Wales did, a lot of these things came from anonymous phone tip-offs. An anonymous phone tip-off is not enough to start an investigation in this case. They need this reasonable suspicion. That's convenient. Yeah. Also, it wouldn't be public. So they wouldn't have public hearings. They wouldn't have public findings. Anything would go to the prosecutor to decide how to prosecute directly. And I think one of the most interesting things about it is the way that it uh, kind of protects MPs a bit. It will have two new criminal offenses, one for the aggravated corruption for repeated serious offenses and one for the failure to report corruption, but they'll only apply to uh, senior public servants. They won't actually apply to members of parliament. Have they given any explanation for that that you've seen? Oh, well, what they've said is that the federal government is much more diverse than state government. And so this idea of a one-size-fits-all law applying to everyone just doesn't work for federal government. So which... Okay, so okay, the, the punishment, the crime, the offences they need for public servants they think are different for the ones that are needed for MPs. So which new offences are they created for MPs? Oh, right. 
No, they just didn't yes. do anything for them. No, of course they didn't. <laughs> Don't be silly. But yeah, so a lot of it is, then there's other things they've said that they probably wouldn't have the power to do phone taps or wiretaps or any of that sort of thing, which is one of the big ways in New South Wales they caught a bead and all the other guys, is that they did a lot of wiretapping. I'll come to a bead in New South Wales because Morrison talks about him about that and say, in a second, I'll, I'll play it. One thing I did notice in terms of the, they can't do the wiretaps, but they also don't have any access to the uh, new powers that were granted to ASIO last week with the, um, the, the terrifying... Oh, God. Uh, and by the way, I don't think we explained that it's not really an anti-encryption bill so much as a the, the one that, that, that Labor voted for the, as they screamed at them that we're running out of time, running out of time, quick, vote for this thing that we want so that we can shut down Parliament before we get to the thing that you want to deal with. And Labor's like, ah, we see what you're trying to do and we'll do exactly what you ask us to because mm. we're complete idiots. Anyway, that one, uh, in which the scariest thing is that they can just... Uh, make a request of a company uh, and without it without needing a warrant or anything like in order to coerce people they need to have a warrant from a ju- uh, I think there's there's a, a method where it goes through some kind of oversight but it's still secretive and it's not very reliable but it's even worse if they're just going to simply make the request because basically you're relying your security and your privacy are entirely dependent on a company saying no to the government yep. when, when they can just as easily go yes because you, you won't find out about it, so there's no, no drawback to the company doing it. Keep the government on the side, uh, and their customers won't find out anyway. So, yeah. Anyway, but yes, importantly, that doesn't help for investigations against uh, politicians for corruption. Like, you would have thought that this thing yes. should have worked in concert with that if we're going to use the powers of uh, ASIO and expand them even further so they can catch people committing serious crimes. Like, they're including crimes... That are things are crimes overseas and not here yes. in that bill, but well, apparently not corruption by MPs. No, well, well, it's different. Um, basically, the um, the standards for for investigation are going to be quite high. Um, and they don't have enough funding, do they? Yeah, the coalition's probably only going to give them about thirty million when the um, the anti corruption experts in August put together an idea for like a best practice panel and how this could work federally, and they suggested it needed about one hundred and ten million. That's okay. about an 80 million dude not much we could get that 80 million by cutting new start we could uh although we are we're, we're kind of already punishing them a bit at the moment by expanding out that uh cash card thing where oh, where they can only use it in like pokies and pubs anyway oh god god Brilliant. um i'm gonna play the audio before we leave okay i'm gonna play the audio of scott morrison announcing it this is a real proposal with real resources real teeth there he goes with his little triplet thing. It's a real proposal with real teeth and real resources behind it. Yeah, look, honest. Honestly, like, let me tell you honestly, I'm an honest man. Let me, I, I, I... It's going to be a fair dinkum, Integrity <laughs> Commission. You really can't. You can tell if somebody keeps on going about how honest they are, they're lying to you. If somebody keeps on talking about how strong they are, they are staggeringly weak. If somebody, like, you it's can... like guys who go on about, oh, no, I'm such a good guy. I'm so nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they're the misogynist assholes. They're the worst. Yes. Yeah, no, exactly. It is very much. He, he doesn't doesn't everything he says now. It reads as, I know you think the opposite of me, but if I just say the words, will you believe that that's not me? Will you believe it's not me? I honestly think there's part of him that believes it. I think that when he says it, he actually believes it. That that his ICAC has teeth. Oh, well, I think that I think he, he knows that he's deliberately hobbled it so that it won't have teeth. Like the whole point, the reason why they haven't supported a proper one is that they don't want it to have teeth because they know how crooked the people around them are and they do not want that coming out. Which reminds me, you would think that Labor at this point, given that they know that they're going to come into government and this is this legislation, any real ICAC next is going to be applied against the new government, which will be Labor. Like 
Labour has come out and mocked this as the uh, sort of a faux ICAC, a laughable joke. In fact, here's the audio. It's a few days before Christmas. Mr Morrison's heart is not in this issue. You can see the fingernail marks on the marble of Parliament where he's been dragged kicking and screaming. But I wouldn't be surprised if they sort of let this through anyway because, hey, they're going to be the people in power who a real ICAC would be targeting. Right, and he says he'll toughen it, but... Yeah, they, they might just pass it and then be like, oh, but we'll make it tougher. Interestingly, uh, Morrison may, gives us an example. So we know that the New South Wales ICAC caught a whole lot of corrupt politicians, in, such as the ADOB. But Scott Morrison thinks that that is the wrong way to go about it. The New South Wales ICAC, which exposed corrupt state ministers Joe Tripodi, Eddie O'Beat and Ian MacDonald. It has been the lesson in what not to do. I find it funny that he's saying it's been the perfect example of how not to go about things because it seems like it was successful. Yes, they, they caught people. Uh, David Ip QC, who presided over those uh, inquiries, particularly inquiries into Obed, uh, when he was head of ICAC, uh, he said that, that Morrison's CIC was, quote, the kind of integrity commission that you would have when you don't want to have an integrity commission. He said it creates a wall behind which corrupt public officials can hide, and he said that the CIC plan was, quote, like a colander, it would be really good to make rice in it. It's got so many holes. And he said a really good example is the Obeid case, where we started with an anonymous phone tip-off. And that's not a reasonable suspicion. That's saying, hey, there might be something, and us going, okay, interesting, we'll look into that and we'll see. And he said the CIC plan also, quote, negates the power of whistleblowers because only government agencies can report alleged public sector corruption, which must be that can then be investigated by the commission. So, quote, no whistleblower acting alone can make a report. Or well, apparently, what you can do as a whistleblower is report it to the, to corrupt, public the service. To, to the corrupt public service, who will then report it up. Oh, okay. And apparently, with MPs, it's okay because you can already report them to things like the Australian Electoral Commission for electoral issues, or you can report them to the uh, commission about their spending if it's a spending issue. So, there's already ways to report MPs. Uh, there's already ways to report corruption if you catch them generally. That's the point of a commission is that they can actually dig into it and root it out. Yes, and the other point of a commission is that it pulls a lot of those things together and it pulls different... It It's like a big, you know, magnolia tree. They have lots of branches and the branches intertwine. You start to pull those branches together and they start to see the bigger picture. Very much so. Um, he also pointed out, quote, quite a lot of corruption does not constitute a criminal offence or it's just about impossible to prove criminality, such as... Misconduct relating to political donations, which is, of course, the big one that that snares MPs. So, yeah, basically, I can understand why Morrison doesn't like the New South Wales version if the thing that he's worried about is catching MPs who've done the wrong thing. Uh, If he wants to catch MPs who've done the wrong thing, I would have thought that New South Wales would be an example of how to go about it. I would too. All right, so that's that's the FOCAC we've done with Victorian. The last thing we want to talk about today... We could mention Christopher Pine's expensive new joint strike fighters. They've, they've actually arrived now. We've got a couple of, for the, for the billions of dollars we've wasted on this terrible aircraft that's basically a flying coffin and will kill our service personnel. How exciting. Yeah. So we've got some of those and Pine was uh, up there and next. I don't think he actually sat in the plane uh, with his fingers out going pew, 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 uh, pew, 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 pew. Or if he did, they didn't get it on film. I'm sure he did in a bunch of cartoons. But they've arrived. Also, um, I did see a thing which we'd missed earlier, which was the uh, Murdoch Press were trying to attack the critiques of the conditions for refugees on Nauru by quoting uncritically Baron Wacker, the president of Nauru, saying uh, that he'd heard from 40 uh, different refugees of the 300 that they'd settled in America wanting to come back. 
Now, that's that was then promoted as being some kind of a, look, it can't be that bad on Nauru because they want to come back from America. Well, first of all, I don't know what's been, do- being done to them in America. They may wow. want to. But secondly, um, they're the people that we separated from their families. And they may have gone to America thinking they could then have their families brought with them when they signed those things over and found that they can't. And so, yeah, possibly even more oppressive than torture on Nauru is the idea of spending the rest of their lives without their families. As well as if you look at being in America right now and how they're treating people who have come in as refugees, you know, like the seven-year-old girl who died of dehydration the other day. Um, This sort of thing, if I were refugee sent there, I don't think I would have a lot of faith in the system. I mean, I don't have. I wouldn't be particularly happy to go back to Nauru either, but if you're being treated as badly in America as you were being treated on Nauru, but at least your family's on Nauru... Yeah, it would make sense. You might go, to hell with it, better the devil I know where or my family's there. Or if your family's in Australia and if you're in Nauru, at least you haven't given up your right to see them, your right to ever have them in your life again. Yeah, so the Oz didn't bother exploring, first of all, how much we would could re- rely on what Baron Wacker says anyway. I mean, mm-hmm. who's about as, as uh, conflicted in, on that matter as you possibly could be, given that his entire regime is entirely dependent on us continuing to give his government huge sums of money to uh, break and destroy refugees on our behalf. Not exactly an independent mm. resource. Uh, and also, of course, a person who won't let uh, independent media actually come and investigate what's happening uh, on their country. They refuse visas. Like, they are as closed and corrupt as you can imagine. They don't deserve... They have not done anything to warrant us giving them the benefit of the doubt. Um, and secondly, yeah, there are some reasons why people might want to come back that have nothing to do with it not being a monstrous place for them to be stuck, but simply because the alternatives... There, there could be things even worse. I, I mean, I do like the idea that Australian supporters of offshore detention, their attitude is basically... Hey, if it's not the absolute worst place in the world, then we're being pretty good to them and they should be grateful. Well, exactly. There may be a place that's worse and therefore this is okay. Yep. Now, the last thing we're going to talk about is the thing that was dropped at the last moment, which is the report of the expert panel, expert in quotes, uh, with the religious, quote, freedom review, uh, which the government has had since, I think, May, and they finally drop it after Parliament disappears, and then they drop their response as well. Now... I don't think we've actually had a chance. We've sort of had some leaks earlier in the year which sort of indicated what some of the recommendations were going to be. But we actually do have the recommendations now and we can look at what they are and what the government's proposing to do, which is bring in a religious discrimination bill to, uh, well, in the words of the government, provide comprehensive protection against discrimination based on religious belief or activity. Mm. Now, we'll go through those in a second, but let's launch this discussion uh, by by playing you the audio of Scott Morrison introducing this. There is no more fundamental liberty that any human being has than their fundamental right to decide what they believe or not believe, for that matter. To have a religious faith or not to have a religious faith. And of that religious faith, what particular religious faith they may wish to pursue. To really address this fundamental issue of anti-discrimination and ensuring we complete the work. And that is to establish a Religious Discrimination Act and to appoint a uh, Religious Freedom Commissioner within the Human Rights Commission. Well, there are fundamental rights humans have. We have rights to shelter and safety and all sorts of things Food. That, that, like come before, that, that come far before our, our decision to follow a faith. We have the right to not be discriminated against for something that we are. For example, being a person of color or a queer person. Things that we cannot change that are fundamentally ourselves. Yes, we shouldn't discriminate against people for what they believe either, but nor should they be allowed to discriminate against us. 
Exactly. So there's fundamental rights, obviously, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like the the, the uh, ability to profess a religious belief is significantly down that. And, and yeah, over- after after food and shelter and safety and all yeah. of those things, yes. But even even under liberties, the liberty to be yourself, be your own gender, be your own mm. um, sexual orientation, being your own race without suffering a penalty for it, those are far more fundamental than, again, what what you want to believe in your head. Although, of course, there's no infringement of what you believe internally. Like, nobody's looking into your brain and, decide, and telling you what you can and can't believe. What they're talking about, the only way that this comes up as a thing that governments or anyone else might impact you on is when you seek to do things in the world about that. Mm. And the only reason why this comes up in conflict with any other... With any, the only examples that Morrison could come up with were ones where fundamentalist Christians had been out there advocating against the equality of LGBTI people and had then suffered some consequence for doing that. So this isn't their own private religious belief and keeping it to themselves. No. This is them out there trying to harm gay people. And they're like, this is my freedom when it is specifically out there to target gay people. And, and it specifically attacks other people. Um, I find it interesting that he's now selling it as multiculturalism. Uh, oh, well, this is a defense of multiculturalism. We're defending all religions and all faiths. And, and even not having a faith. Oh, exactly. But it's also such a sort of cisgendered, heterosexual, rich white guy's view of something that this is the most fundamental thing that can be criti- critiqued about you. Because this is probably the only thing in his life that he's ever run, in, run up against people where people have gone, I don't agree with you. Yeah. Or, or in fact, they have formed a view of him. But there have been some stereotypes that they have assumed about Scott Morrison because he declares that he is an evangelical Christian. And they've made some assumptions about that, that he was the kind of person who would go out there and try and harm LGBTI people uh-huh. when he had the opportunity, uh, which was an accurate conclusion to draw. Oh, uh, or that he was the kind of person who would be seeking to impose his religion on the rest of the world, uh, even if the rest of the world doesn't want it. Oh, wait, no, that one's accurate that, that as well. That one's accurate too. Or that he would believe in things like prosperity doctrine and that, you know, the poor are sort of doing it to themselves. Yeah, that, that would impact his, his sympathy for the poor people. Yeah, that's true. Oh, wait, that, that was also accurate. Wait but a minute. The important thing about this whole review is that he stuck to his word of last month or was it the month before and said, the kids are the most important thing. And what we'll do is we'll protect the LGBTQIA children and we'll ensure that before that, ASAP, we'll get some laws in protecting them so schools can't discriminate them against them. And they definitely did that, right, Jeremy? No, they put what they did is they proposed to remove some of the exemptions that religious organisations have or currently, hmm. but only if they could add in new powers specific, specifying that religious organisations should be able to enforce their own ethos. So, oh. like, because the religious lobby says, hey, we don't want to kick out kids for being gay. We don't want to sack teachers for being gay we're not seeking to do any of that thing but we need to have the power to do it we mm. need to have the power in the laws to do that and we need to maintain the power to do it because we already have it yeah but but not not because we're going to exercise it we just need well, that power for some other reason what could that reason be is it that they want to be able to hold it over the heads of people to force lgbti kids and teachers and staff to just shut up don't ask, don't tell, keep it amongst themselves to live in shame. Do they want it? Is it that they want to be able to hold There's over their heads? There's a reason why the bullying and suicide rates are so high amongst youth in this in this area because of these sorts of policies and these sorts of like hide it, be ashamed of it. Because fundamentally, every uh, look, this is the review came back and it specifically recognizes that religion does not override the rights of other people to have to live their lives. 
And it specifically says, recommendation one, which the government has not adopted, it's just punted it off for uh, further, further consideration. This one they haven't accepted. Those jurisdictions that retain exceptions or exemptions in their anti-discrimination laws for religious bodies with respect to race, disability, pregnancy, or intersex status should review them having regard to community expectations. They recognise these things are wrong. You should not be able to discriminate on those. They notably do not include their uh, gender no. or sexual orientation. Throughout this report, which is supposedly about religious freedom, the thing that they are preoccupied by, and the thing that the Prime Minister was preoccupied which was... Future Jeremy here, interrupting before I can crane off on a tangent and lose the point I was trying to make. The point I was trying to make is that, like everything in relation to this religious freedom talk, the only thing they're fixated on is that they don't like LGBTI people. The report talks only about LGBTI people uh, as the special rights that all these organisations need to be able to have. Scott Morrison's only example of why we need it was Porteous, who was attacking LGBTI people. Clearly a persecuted man, the Archbishop of of, uh, Hobart. Everything that they've come out with is about their need to be able to tell their kids, other people's kids, everyone, that being gay is not as good as being straight. In fact, it's a sin, and that it should be shut down, and that if their kids, parents should be able to teach their kids that it's wrong, uh, and that schools should be able to teach kids that it's wrong, and that uh, fundamentally they want to be able to promote the idea that LGBTI people should be second-class citizens. And that's to them in 2018, to the people who are speaking to this review, to Scott Morrison, to the people writing this review, religious freedom is nothing more than their supposed right to try to enforce and promote their privilege and their power over LGBTI people, particularly those one LGBTI people unfortunate enough to be under the power of these religious people. They want... Their freedom is defined as their ability to take away freedom from other people. So, yes, the point I wanted to make there before I creamed off on the tangent was if you look at the review, if you look at the report, they are not promoting religious freedom over the top of any other matters that have previously been matters of conscience, like race, people, the, the pre- religious people advocated for against interracial marriage because they thought it was profoundly wrong, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Those sorts of things they recognise. That's not their current problem, so therefore they don't care about it. It's 100% about the thing that they're currently hung up on, which is they hate LGBTI people. They want to be able to teach their kids. They want to be able to tell their kids who are trans that they're not. They're not really trans. There's no scientific basis for that. It's just their religious belief. And the fact that that will harm the trans kids, they don't care about. That is all this is. It's why this review came in as a response to LGBTI people getting marriage equality. That is the context of it. It is the content of it. All this is is, is profoundly misleading to call this religious freedom because all it is is a fight for the religious privilege to push LGBTI people back down again. That's what they want to do. That's all this is. And the report, it's, it's extraordinary how unashamed of that this report is and how clear this report is. This is what religious freedom means in 2018. Anyway, back to the bit that I was careening off on. And the thing that the Prime Minister was preoccupied, which was... His example was Archbishop Porteous in Tasmania, who put out a booklet, who promulgated this booklet publicly, Uh demonising gay people, saying that LGBTI people are second-class citizens, basically, and saying that the the church views them as not... They don't... Their marriages aren't real marriages. They are not equal human beings. They are less... Basically, it was a a pamphlet they put out there expressing and expanding and promoting hate and discrimination against LGBTI people. Damn right, that should be against the law. That causes harm. 
Yes. That, that, that attitude causes uh, parents in those communities to be more discriminatory towards their children. It causes people to be more discriminatory and hostile to employees, to people they meet who are LGBTI in general. That kind of promotion of hate against a marginalised group causes harm. And yet, the Tasmanian laws that they are whinging about, Porteus didn't even get... The, the complaint was dropped. They yeah. weren't even strong enough for there to be any consequence for Porteus putting this out there. This whole temper tantrum from the religious right is because of somebody daring to like, bring a case that he had to respond to, even though it had no consequence in the end. This is what they've been... This is what they're reduced to leaning on as their example of religious persecution. And it's not that somebody went to Julian Porteus and said, you must have best friends who are gay. Mm. It's that there was a consequence, a very minor consequence, which didn't go any further, to him spending um, tax-free money yeah. promoting oh, God, um, a, a tax crazy. on LGBTI people. None of the, in fact, the Oz today, the cut-and-paste column in Today's Australian, is a list of, they're going, because the Ruddock Review says, look, we've, we haven't been able to really find much in the way of actual re- religious discrimination. And they've gone, really? What about these? And they're all examples of somebody out there um, attacking gay people and then there being a consequence, people boycotting them or people uh, criticising them for it. And there's religious persecution. Like, it doesn't occur to them, hey, look, cut and paste. How about you get, do you want, do you want some examples of persecution of LGBTI people? Because you'll need more than, like, half a page in the yeah, Oswald. Uh, and you'll have to do... You won't have to search because your lines will be flooded. So, basically, his, oh, the children are most important and we'll make sure we get this through, has been punted off to another review. So they get to review the review. And notably, that review doesn't... Have... That doesn't even address LGBTI staff. It's only the kids. So the staff one isn't even... Doesn't even get a review. Well, we don't care about the staff. But the kids. The kids were really important. Um, because people will protect their children, and there was a backlash against that. But yeah, we, we need another review, because how do we balance the rights of those kids with the rights of people to discriminate against those That's kids? Right. Like, and, and this, all of this talk about the religious ethos of an organisation, and the, the, the vital, how vital it is, and how fundamentally important it is that we balance the right of LGBTI people to live their lives without being discriminated against, with the right of religious people to tell um, other people in their communities that those LGBTI people are second-class citizens, should be second-class citizens, and are sinners, and disgraceful. Like, how do we balance the right of people to spread hate about a group and the right of that group not to be experiencing the consequences of that hate? I don't know. Maybe you don't protect the right of people to promote hate and harm in our community. It's exactly the same as if these religious organisations thought that interracial marriage should be against the law. We don't have any protections where, where religious organisations who honestly believe this, like 60, 70 years ago in America, that was their, that was their the, the fundamental part of their religious belief, that the races should be separate. God separated them at Babel or whatever. I don't well, know what the justification was. But fundamentally, that was their belief, right? Yep. And yet, uh, we're here in 2018. Like, the, the reviews recommend, recognise that even though the logic is exactly the same, my religious belief is this, I should get to spread it as far as I can. Because the people who are writing these reviews don't any longer think that interracial marriage is sinful and a problem. They are like, no, no, we don't need to protect that thing. But because they are themselves still prejudiced against LGBTI people, that one seems reasonable to them. But there's no logic. Like, they're both as stupid as the other. There's no reason why a religious person thinking that other races shouldn't marry is any different logically from a religious person believing honestly and heartfeltly that gay people shouldn't marry. Like, they're exactly the same in logic. But the law... The only difference is that these people don't currently hold that religious belief, but they do hold the other one. But both of them are stupid. Both of them are wrong. And there's no reason why, the exact same reason why we shouldn't protect racist 
religious people is the same reason we shouldn't be protecting homophobic religious people. Well, and actually, there has been a rousing support for uh, Mr. Morrison's plan. One of the archbishops in Australia came out and said that he supported what Scott Morrison was doing because it would stop the state laws that forced them to break the seal of the confessional and report things like child abuse. Excellent. This is what happens when you tinker with the balance. If your idea is that, that religious power, a religious... The, the, the ability of religious people to um, Im, uh, to cover up things and to discriminate, advocate for discrimination and those sorts of things are more important than the rights of the vulnerable people who are being harmed to be protected from them. And in fact, if you portray the people who are in the privileged positions who are picking on the vulnerable as the real victims, then you have stuffed up the balance terribly. But they haven't thought it through very well at all. Like, so what Morrison is proposing to do, and we don't actually have the bill yet, um, you can now read the... Uh, review and you can read the government's response to it and which ones they're adopting like uh they they're happy to adopt the one of that they have should remove um there's there was a uh, part of the shipping act that still said that they couldn't have blasphemous ship names well then uh, uh, but th- th- they'll do that one they also have said they're going to adopt the recommendation the commonwealth should amend section 11 of the charities act 2013 to clarify that advocacy of a traditional view of marriage would not of itself amount to a disqualifying purpose now that section is when uh, to whether an organisation is charitable, and it's that a, a disqualifying purpose. Uh, so something isn't charitable is if they are uh, is the engage, purpose of engaging in or promoting activities that are unlawful or co- contrary to public policy. Well, which to be fair, advocating for uh, stopping people being married who are married is kind of that, uh, or the purpose of promoting or opposing a political party or a candidate for political office. And the Morrison government's re- response to that is yes, yes, we will make a change so that if you're advocating for the old marriage act then that's fine. That's the, that's the exemption. So we're oh, going to add a specific exemption in there so that you can go out there advocating that gay people who are married now shouldn't be allowed to be married. That's horrible. And that's fine. So you can read it online, but you can't actually get the bill yet. They haven't actually said what the bill was. Well, because originally they said they were going to take it to the next election. And now they're saying that they want it passed. He's more than saying he wants it passed before the next election. And he's going to put in this religious commissioner, this anti-religious discrimination commissioner. He's going to rights commission that he's going to have it yet. And that he also wants these laws to pass before the next election. So he's going to push them up. So in the, what, eight days that they're in Parliament next year? Well, that is that is interesting because you would think that the government doing this out of Parliament implies, so the, the end of the mm. year in the, in the garbage, chuck everything out thing. Because, of course, this was done and announced the same day as their, their faux ICAC. Yeah. Faux CAC. Yes. Um, you would think that usually means that they don't want to campaign on this and that they're clearing the decks. But if he's... I mean, I, who knows what Scummo is doing? Scummo is just well. It, I think he's I think he's launching it there, and he's leaving himself the option depending on how it's received. But what he's doing is he's selling it as defending multiculturalism because that's what he's ca- called out to Bill Shorten. He said, "Are you going to defend a multicultural Australia and support us in this?" <laughs> Okay. Because we're defending religious rights, and people of all sorts of religions need their rights defended, not just white Christian men. But don't white Christian men have most of the power? And if you give them the right to uh, impose their religion on other people, doesn't that mean that they will? It'll be easier for them to like. Don't, don't these laws make it easy for them to sack people for being Muslim? Mm. Uh, b- because because I'm a religious organisation, and I and your religion and me sacking you for being Muslim isn't about your right as a Muslim. It's about my rights as a Christian. Yes. The other thing that it does potentially, uh, is give another wedge against school chaplains. Because you know how the government got rid of the ability for uh, schools to hire counsellors, people who weren't 
religious yes. in, in, under that program. They could they have to be members of the of one of these um, advocacy religious organisations. Oh, it's so horrible. The school chaplains like they yeah. la- later kept school chaplains but enabled them to be non-religious rather than having counsellors or social workers in the school qualified people. You know exactly people who studied this and studied child psychology and studied all sorts of things and sociology and these things. They you know filled it with evangelicals who want to promote their religion and yeah. they say they won't but then you see you, there's all the video of, uh, that's been released from whistleblowers like they clearly are out there how do you think they recruit these people these chaplains in schools they don't recruit them because now we want you to come to schools and not promote your religion that you clearly have dedicated your life to that's not how they recruit them of course they're there to proselytize because that's what they're for anyway Potentially, the the Morrison bill will uh, create a bit of a loophole whereby non-religious people who are discriminated against by virtue of not being religious under that program would be able to say, "Ah, ah, 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 ah. hire me. Uh, You have to, because the fact that I don't share that religion is not a basis to not hire me. But that would be an interesting, like, and that that would be one of those ones that I think went to the Supreme Court in the end to figure it out. Because they've they've got exemptions for religious bodies in hiring, but the government... The schools are hiring those chaplains, yeah. and they're not a religious organisation. So, because keep in mind that the, the, the point of Labor didn't stop them having school chaplains, but Labor just gave the power for non-religious schools to not have school chaplains, whereas yes. the federal, the Liberals just wanted for everybody to have school chaplains. But or or if they're a Muslim or religious, but whatever, as long as they're not, they've got to be religious. But fundamentally, this one, when it comes in will mean that the public schools that are not religious bodies, how on earth would they justify not hiring a non-religious person? They're not a religious mm. body. None of, the, none of the protections that the government's putting in place for religious organisations would apply. Well, and actually, sort of, as we go down this this thing about LGBTQIA people and, and various things, the Morrison government has also announced that it plans to override the state laws to prevent a person's gender from being stripped from their birth certificate. Oh, yeah. So in Germany, they're talking about how on earth they should, how they specifically go about protecting LGBTI people and so forth with, the, with their birth certificates and records. And in Australia, Tasmania is leading the way on doing it in a sensible fashion. And the Morrison government is declaring, we want to have a culture war because we don't think there are many trans people, so we think we can win this one. The assistant treasurer said the identity wars pose serious risks to planning for hospital and schools and would destroy the function of the Bureau of Statistics. Oh, I love this. So th- this whole thing that they come out and they're like, we're, we, Labour is really preoccupied with identity issues and climate yeah. change and so forth, whereas we, on the Conservative side, are just only going to talk consistently about our opposition to that stuff. Like, Absolutely. We, go, we, we want to drive a wedge and then blame you and say that it's, this is your issue. You know, this isn't important to ordinary Australians, but mm. it's all we're talking about. Yeah, apparently the data is essential for sensible planning across Australia because housing developers need it. Well, because housing developers don't need to know how many male or female people are living. They just need to know population growth. They need to know numbers. It will make planning exceptionally difficult for the Department of Health, which has to make decisions about where obstetrics wards go and where fertility services go. We provide- yeah, because in the uh, 18 years between a child being born and those services being provided, A, there wouldn't be any inter- intervening moments when that data would be collected by medical organisations mm. anyway. And um, B, there's you know never any changes in fertility rates or something between, over 20 years that might possibly affect the provision of those services or where people are living. Like, oh yeah, now obviously we are planning our obstetrics facilities 20 years out. Well, we provide cervical cancer vaccines for free. How will we know how many to order? Cervical cancer doesn't care how you identify, it cares whether you have a cervix. Which actually is a good thing for this because people can actually now legally change their certificate and identify in another fashion on it but might not have a cervix just because you're a cervix doesn't mean you're a female 
there are other ways of identifying that before those vaccines will be like uh, so, oh. so if you're going to order a vaccines like first of all it's going to be roughly 50 50 anyway like yes in terms of who has a uterus and who doesn't. Absolutely. And it's it's just, it's more of that bullshit. And they're trying to couch it in. We need it for planning. I'm fairly sure that with the uh, Tasmania, it's just whether the child's gender is recorded on the public birth certificate anyway. It has nothing to do. So the medically... Um, like yeah, the medical data that the, the, medical the, the, data the hospital records would be the same anyway. Would yeah. be the same anyway. So it would still say that this child was born. You could easily have the medical data for the government recording which... Um, physical sex characteristics yes. they have, which is not the same as their gender. Exactly. Um, and so what they're just saying is that the gender is recorded on a public birth certificate and that when they're 16, they can decide if they have one gender or the other on the birth certificate, they can change it. Yeah. So it really shouldn't be. But, but that's what it's all about. Like, the, this government doesn't have a positive record to sell, doesn't have anything to campaign on. All they have is trying to wedge off from Labour the xenophobes and the, the religious bigots. And, like, they're just trying to chip away and find some core of support somewhere well apparently the western australian government did have plans to remove uh gender from birth certificates as well but after a lot of um church groups and growing pressure from them it's um decided to table that yeah by the way thank you malcolm turnbull for that because part of the reason why the religious right is so um powerful on these things is because you mobilized them and gave them a shitload of public funding because of your stupid anti-marriage equality plebiscite oh, last year God. that was that you really mobilized the religious right for the next 20 freaking years or more well, and didn't one of those marriage equality groups rebrand itself and yeah yeah, anti-trans group. Yeah, binary.org or something. Yeah, binary. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. We go from hateful one to hateful two. Yeah, so every 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 one of these attacks, just remember to thank Malcolm Turnbull for giving these bastards the funding and the organisational um, kick that they needed to get started to persecute these vulnerable people. Thanks, Malcolm Trumbull, you useless git. All right, let's have something positive to end on. I don't know that I have anything positive, but I feel like we should end on something positive. Well, how about this? How about instead of ending on something positive today, we go back through the year, look at all the positive things that have happened through the year, because we do sometimes get at a negative thing. We deal with the issues that are coming up, coming in politics. So let's have a review. And next week, we'll have a review of all the positive stuff that happened this year around the country. Yeah, that's true. The politicians are off now. Maybe they won't do anything else horrible between now and Christmas. We can hope. (laughs) All right, we'll try and find some positives for next week. And I think that's where we will leave it for this week. Thank you very much to our Patreon subscribers. You are how the podcast keeps going. Thank you very much to everybody who has given us a five-star review on iTunes. And if you haven't done one, that would be very much appreciated. Uh, thank you to everybody who has had a discussion with us at Well May We Say on Twitter. It makes a huge difference. Everybody engaging with us and having part of a discussion. That makes, if you, if you, anything we've said, it makes a huge difference to us to feel we're part of that community and we're actually uh, having a discussion. Thank you to Robin Gray for the music and Alex Lum for the artwork. And thank you most of all to my beloved Denise. (laughs) Thank you for coming back. Always a pleasure. And we will see you all next week. See you then.